So, we now are going to have the privilege of hearing uh, Pastor Dimitri, uh, I'm going to try to say his name right, Spatarel, Spatarel, there we go, I got it. First service didn't have trouble with that. Uh, so uh, he is filling in for Pastor Aaron, who you know is on sabbatical, and uh, Pastor Dimitri is the planting pastor of Resurrection Church down in Federal Way, which planted out of Resurrection Tacoma. Both of those churches are partner churches with us in our networks, and uh, Dimitri's no stranger to many of you, and uh, we are glad that you're here. Thank you for coming and being such a servant of the Lord to bring his word to us and church eagerly hear and apply the word from uh, today's message. And before then, Sarah Gomez is going to come and read our scripture in English and in Spanish as a reminder that the gospel is for the whole world. Thank you, Sarah. This is the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Guárdense de hacer su justicia delante de los hombres para ser visto por ellos. De lo contrario, no tendrán recompensa de su Padre que está en los cielos. Cuando pues hagas obras de misericordia, no hagas tocar trompeta delante de ti, como hacen los hipócritas en las sinagogas y en las calles para ser honrados por los hombres. De cierto les digo que ellos ya tienen su recompensa, pero cuando tú hagas obras de misericordia, no sepa tu mano izquierda lo que hace tu derecha, de modo que tus obras de misericordia sean en secreto y tu padre que ve en secreto te recompensará. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for our time together in your word. Uh, we ask that our time in the scriptures would be fruitful to our lives, to our hearts, uh, to our faith. Lord, we ask... Uh, through your son Jesus and by the power of your spirit, would you be with us? Would you open our hearts? Would you open our ears? Would you open our eyes? Would you help us see Jesus more clearly and help us obey and worship him more faithfully? Uh, we pray these things in his beautiful, glorious, majestic name. Amen. Well, uh, it's good to be with you, Sound City Bible Church. Um, as uh, Pastor Jason mentioned, uh, my name is Dimitri, uh, and um, I've, uh, I go really f far back with Pastor Aaron. Pastor Aaron and I have known each other for uh, a very long time. In fact, uh, Pastor Aaron is uh, one of the, the mentors uh, that I have just had a deep appreciation for over the years. Uh, we used to serve together in the same church and really had a uh, kind of mentor-pupil relationship where Pastor Aaron just invested in me, poured into me, uh, just served and um, just discipled me and, and gave of his time and effort. Uh, and um, it's just, I, I look back on my uh, my time with him and I'm deeply, deeply grateful. So it's, it's truly an honor to be here to uh, uh, fill the pulpit for him. Uh, and uh, really, I, I say that um, as I've joked in the earlier service at the 9 a.m. that uh, uh, if, uh, if the sermon is bad today, it's Aaron's fault, <laughs> is really what I'm saying. And uh, uh, I, 
I thought I was joking, but those who are at the 9 a.m. probably uh, have affirmed that and are probably sending him some emails this week. So, uh, but um, all kidding aside, um, deeply grateful to be here with you all. We're going to continue our time in uh, the uh, book of Matthew, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and, you know, this, this sermon is, is really... It's challenging, isn't it? If you've been around for a couple weeks, you've heard some messages, you've seen some of the things that Jesus has said, some of the things that he's instructed. Um, They're very challenging words, difficult teachings. Uh, And they're not difficult necessarily because of the imperatives, uh, what he tells us to do. They're difficult because he doesn't settle for our external life, but he goes for the heart. He goes for the inner recesses of who we are and how we live and from where our actions and motivations and aspirations and intentions uh, come from. And he goes there. The, the human heart is the control center of a person. It's where our thoughts are governed. It's where our desires are governed. It's where our emotions are governed. Uh, and, and, and Jesus doesn't settle to just get our actions, uh, but he wants to get at us Right? The Christian faith is not about good behavior first. First. It's a very important word. It's not about our righteous living first. But it's about our hearts first. That what goes on in the heart bleeds out into how we express our lives But unfortunately, the Bible, in accordance with reality, tells us some bad news. That our hearts are desperately sick, as the prophet Jeremiah notates. Uh, They are deceitful. Our heart is is desperately wicked. Uh, That we are so corrupt in our actions, in our words, in our emotions, in our intentions and motivations, uh, that we don't only just do bad stuff. Uh, but we do good things for the wrong reasons. We even do this good stuff in a bad way. And, and Jesus knows this. He knows that our hearts need to be changed. And so motive matters. Our, our motivations far outweigh in significance our actions. Why? Because if you get the heart, the life follows suit. The actions follow suit. And so the reality is, is that our human condition is, is one of, of evil and deceit and confusion. And in line with this dilemma, this, this human dilemma, that, that we are incapable of fixing our hearts and, and, and really changing ourselves, and, and the fact that, that we are prone to take even the good things that we do and, and twist them in evil, wicked ways. Jesus continues his sermon on the mount in chapter 6 with this profound declarative warning to us. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Now, if you've been following Jesus' teaching thus far, he has said some things that sound at face value contradictory to this, right? He says things like um, righteousness, your righteousness, my righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? They're the most 
externally righteous people in the society in Jesus' day. They were tithing righteously. They were, they were generous, uh, really generous towards the poor. They were astute in their observances of religious practices, prayer, a public prayer, a reading of the scriptures, uh, their religious commitments to the gathering of the people. They were very, very righteous. And Jesus says, your righteousness has succeeded that. Right? So he said that, that you're, you're, how you live your life matters. Then he says, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works. So you are called to live in good works. You're called to, to do the things that God has called you to do. And then he says this, and some people might be confused. They're like, do you want me to live righteously or do you not want me to live righteously? But the problem, friends, isn't in righteous living. The problem, again, is in the heart, in the motivation. Right? It says here that he says it's not about practicing your righteousness, but rather in front of others to be seen by them. That word seen means to gaze at, to wonder in awe, to behold. Right? Oftentimes, when we use our good works and our good deeds inappropriately, oftentimes it could be about the glory of self. It could be about uh, making others or causing others or desiring others to see us and make much of us and behold us. But Jesus makes it clear, explicitly clear, that we are to live our lives to the glory of God and God alone. And so, with this warning, this, this idea that, that we, are, we are called to not live for the glory of self, but for the glory of God with our works and our good deeds. Jesus' warning here fundamentally is rooted in this point, and this is the point I want to put before you. There is a massive difference between the desire to be perceived as virtuous and actually being virtuous. Those are two things that are completely different from one another. And so the question to us with regards to Jesus' warning here is really an invitation to examine our hearts. Examine your heart today. Where are you at? With your motivations, with your desires, with your intentions? Do you have a heart that desires to be virtuous, to glorify God and honor Him in this world, in your relationships, in your spiritual devotions? Or are you prone to desire to be perceived that way for the glorification of self? And so examine your heart today with regards to these things. Now, to help us practically spend some time evaluating our hearts, Jesus gives us two very practical examples of the differences with regards to these two ideas, right? Wanting to be perceived as virtuous or righteous and actually being virtuous and righteous. And the two examples are generosity and prayer. Generosity and prayer. And these two examples are not chosen by just sheer coincidence. They're intentional. 
Jesus is very intentional with bringing these up. Why? Because the example of generosity towards neighbor and the, the prayer of a person unto God covers both the horizontal dynamics of our lives and how we relate to other people and the vertical relationship that we have with God. In essence, he's covering the entire range of human experience. He's saying how you conduct yourself horizontally matters and how you conduct yourself vertically matters. And so let's look at this first example that he gives us of generosity. He says, so whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Now let's pause here for a second. When Jesus is giving this example of giving to the poor, he is engaging in a culture that is very, very much familiar with the concept of generous giving. Right, the, the religious Jews of the day, the, the, those who were astute in biblical knowledge and the cultural and religious practices of the people of Israel, they knew that they are called to be generous to the poor. In fact, this was a command by God to his people in the Old Testament through the law of Moses. God commands people to be considerate of those who are in need, to give with a heart of generosity towards others, right? In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 through 11, it says this, If among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart. Take note, it's about the heart. You shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. And you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cry to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land, therefore I command you, you shall open, your, open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. An explicit command to the people of God to be generous. But what was the point of it all? The point of it was the heart. The motivation should be one of glad, generous giving to those in need. But in Jesus' day, if we look back at verses 2 through 4, in our text, what we see is this command that was intended for the people of God to practice their, their generosity with a pure heart was corrupted and used to justify themselves and to, to, to basically glorify themselves by the approval of others. In fact, what's so funny is Jesus says, don't sound a trumpet before you. Quite literally, an ancient version of virtue signaling. That's literally what it is, right? This is ridiculous. We would never see this in our day and age, right? Imagine somebody's about to give to the homeless, right? And they're like, and everybody looks at them and they're like, behold, right? Behold my glorious generosity. No, no, we don't do that, right? We don't do that. It's just obviously ridiculous. But we do it in very, very subtle ways. And in fact, I would say that we typically sound the trumpet after we do the good deeds, right? And it comes in the form of a social media post. Does it not? You're doing something great. 
in secret, nobody sees it. You're like, take a little photo. Wait, maybe about a week, right? For you to be like, I'm not, I'm not doing this to self-justify myself. No, no, I'm not doing this to, to take glory. And then you go back into your photo, you know, you're like, ooh, this is nice. You know, share it. And you get likes and stuff, right? We, we do this thing even to this day. This virtue signaling, as I've been examining my own heart in regards to my relationship to others, uh, I, I, see, I see this even to this day. There are ways that, that we as sinners by nature and choice struggle with this. We struggle with trying to receive glory from man, right? A couple of examples that, uh, that I've been wrestling through lately has been in relationship to my wife and my boys. I've been married to my wife, Mary, uh, for the last nine years. We're celebrating our 10-year anniversary. We have three boys uh, under the age of seven, Johnny, Judah, and James. And uh, yes, those names were absolutely chosen out of sheer laziness because we didn't want to pick any other different names. And we're expecting a baby girl. Praise God for that in December because uh, Lord knew he saw us in our helpless condition. Uh, and we were way in over our heads. And he's like, all right, uh, I'm going to have some mercy on you. Give you somebody who's not going to the ER every other weekend. Uh, and so... Some of the ways that I relate to them demonstrates this virtue signaling d- d- dynamic, right? With my wife, um, I occasionally, uh, rarely will do some nice things around the house, uh, like, you know, build a bookshelf or take out the trash, you know, or maybe live, leave like a nice little, you know, a little coffee, maybe a little love note for my wife. And uh, she appreciates that. And uh, occasionally she's moved in the very depths of her soul because of my gracious generosity and love towards her, and she decides to share it on the interwebs. And um, I like being liked by my wife, but sometimes I'm like, man, this looks good. This is great. You know? Like the people on Instagram think I'm like the dopest husband on the face of the earth, and they're dead wrong. But it feels good. It feels good to get that kind of self-glory. All right, that's one way. With relationship to my kids, man, like with regarding uh, discipline with my boys, I've, I would notice some, some moments in my life where in my discipline with the boys that, that there would be certain aspects of my discipline regarding like tone or how I approach things that would kind of change with regards to whether or not there are people around. Right, I'm in public, right? Johnny or somebody is just like completely flatly disobeying, uh, and, and, and I'm like, I'm like, all right, Jonathan, right? People are around. Johnny boy, listen, Daddy loves you. You know, God loves you. He doesn't want you to disobey. He wants good for you, buddy. Now, Daddy has to spank you, but listen, I love you, and I'm gonna be right here, and, and I'm gonna hug you, and I'm gonna pray for you, and I love you. What are you doing, kid? What's going on? Like, what's why? Right? Like, some of those dynamics, am I the only one or is there, are there other parents in here that have that struggle, right? You're like, listen, okay, I get it. I can't freak out on my kid around people, so I'm going to wait until, you know, I can express it in privacy. Right? Obviously, thankful that the Lord convicts me in those moments and I'm able to go back and, and, and right wrongs and stuff. But, but that change, that, that change reveals a heart of virtue signaling. Right? I, I want to justify myself in that moment. I, I want to demonstrate that I'm not a horrible father in public. And, and that desire is for self-glory. And, 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 and so the invitation by Jesus is to say, evaluate your motives. They matter. They matter tremendously to God. And so 
where are your motives with regards to your relationship to others? In terms of how you treat others in your life, your kids, your spouse, your coworkers, your, your friends, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Do you do it with a heart that seeks to glorify God or do you do it with a heart that seeks to magnify the self? Ask those questions. They're important. And Jesus knows that this is our human weakness, our struggle. And so he invites us to, to ponder, to think. But then, not just does he address the horizontal dynamics of our life, but then he addresses the vertical. Right? In, in verses 5 and 6, he, he talks about the idea of prayer. He says, whenever you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites. Hypocrites meaning those who are, who are duplicitous, insincere in their devotions, right? The, the, the word hypocrite in the Greek, it refers to the idea of acting, having two faces, uh, being one person in one context and a completely different person in another context. And so he's saying, you must not be that way because they love, the hypocrites, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Again, he taps into the local context of the people that he is speaking to, right? The, the, the religious Jews, they would have had uh, observances of public prayers throughout the day, morning, afternoon, evening. They would hear the call to pray. They would stop all that they would be doing, and they would pray. Now, there's nothing wrong with public prayer, Jesus prays in John 17, very publicly, around his disciples. But again, it goes back to the heart. Why do you do what you do? The purpose of the spiritual disciplines, friends, is for you to commune with God. The purpose of prayer, the purpose of Bible study, the purpose of corporate worship gathering, the purpose of singing glorious gospel truths unto the glory of God is the glory of God. And it is a heart that yearns and longs to make much of God. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, they have their reward. What reward is that? Well, the attention and praise of man. They, They get it. They receive it. Look how awesome that person is. I saw you. I saw you reading... You know, Leviticus in the morning at 5 a.m., right? They get their reward. But when you pray, so Jesus follows up and he says, no, when you pray, go into your private room. Shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's interesting, as you examine the ministry of Jesus, there are always these moments where he escapes the crowds, If you just read the Gospels, you see Jesus in his ministry. He will publicly minister to people, but then he will withdraw to commune with the Father. And in like manner, he's inviting us to not neglect the secret place. Not neglect the places in your spiritual devotions where you are absent from public perspective. Where the public eye is not on you. Your phone and Instagram is not next to you. Why does he invite you to that? Because he recognizes that our hearts are inclined to that self-glorification. And he says, eliminate that temptation. Go to the Father in secret. Where your motives can be sincerely challenged, sincerely uh, uh, scrutinized, 
and that you would have no pretense with trying to perform in front of people, but you can actually enjoy me, is what God says. Right? And so, and what's interesting about, about this idea of our, our horizontal relationships and our vertical relationships and, and how we try to self-glorify, really, it, it, it depends on the direct relationship to the object of our performance. And what I mean by that is this. The, the, the problem with living our lives and doing good works towards others while trying to receive self-glorification is that we're really dehumanizing people. Right? We're treating image bearers as a means to a greater end, which is our self-glorification. And God hates that. He hates it. He says, don't dehumanize my image bearers. Don't dehumanize people. Love them. Serve them. Make much of me in your service to them. And in like fashion, in our vertical dynamics with God, if we treat God as a means to the end of our self-glorification, what a front that is to God himself. It's idolatrous. Friends, when we use God to feel better about ourselves and to glorify ourselves rather than give him the glory that he is due, we're blaspheming him. And so God invites us, he says, don't do that. Don't seek your glory. Seek my glory. Recognize that, that you need me in your life. That I'm the one worthy. That I'm the one who is to be the object of your worship and your devotion. So Jesus recognizes this. And so we see that Jesus is saying, look, if you want to be virtuous, if you truly want to be a person of righteous living, do it unto the glory of God. Do it unto the glory of God. So where are you today, friend? Where's your heart? Why do you do what you do? Why do you serve the way you serve? Why do you read and pray and, 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 and commune with God the way that you do? Why are you generous and, 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 and giving to others and loving others and practicing hospitality towards others? Why do you do those things? Is it for the glory of God or is it for your own self-glory? Now, this truth of self-glorification is, is, is all too common for us. We, we struggle with this. But what do we need to, to, to go from self-glory to, to God-glory? What do we need? What do we need to go from infatuation of getting attention from the human audience to then giving our attention unto God. What do we need? We need the gospel. We need to recognize that in order for us to stop seeking attention and praise from other people, we have to recognize that we received an attention from a far greater audience, namely God himself. You see, friends, I believe that, that really what's at the crux of this issue of seeking glory from others to glorify ourselves rather than glorifying God 
is the issue of justification. The word justification, this doctrine of justification, simply means the the proving of oneself to be right with God. I know that's not the technical definition, but bare bone, that's what it is. It's an effort to try to prove yourself right before God. You see, friends, the problem of the fall in the Garden of Eden is not just that Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They did that. They did a bad thing. But what they did next was they tried to cover their badness with a bunch of fig leaves. The problem of the human heart is not just that we sin, but that we then try to justify our sin by pretending that we are more righteous than we are. Friend, you are a sinner in your actions, in your motivations, in your emotions, in your desires. You sin. Maybe that's a reality check, but it's true. And the answer to that sin problem is not for you to work yourself out of that and to pretend to be more righteous than you really are because you will not succeed. The depths of human depravity go far deeper than our efforts to justify ourselves. And so we need a justification that does not belong to us. And what we see in the gospel is that God in heaven, the second member of the Trinity, Jesus, fully God, left heaven and came to earth, adding humanity to his divinity, living a perfect, sinless life, perfectly obeying and glorifying God who is in heaven to the glory of God. Jesus succeeds where you and I fail. Jesus obeys where you and I rebel. Jesus fears God and gives God glory where you and I seek self-glory. And he does it perfectly. And then Jesus goes to the cross to die in our place for our sin. And the scriptures tell us that he did not have words in his mouth. He was silent. He was not justifying himself. Although he could have. Why did he not justify himself? Because he was justifying you. He went to the cross. Died on the cross in your place for your sin to justify you. And he went into the grave, proving that your sin is being put to death in him. And three days later, he rose bodily, victoriously, over sin and death, proving that he is the God who is the just God and the justifier of sinners like you and I. That is the glorious truth of the gospel. Friends, if you are here and you're trying to prove yourself right before God, stop. You will fail. It's not enough. You cannot atone for your sin with your good works. But Jesus does that for you. Jesus gives us a justification that we could never earn. Jesus gives us a secure place of rest in his righteousness. And so what difference would that do for your righteous living if the pressure to perform was off the table, if the pressure to self-justify was not there, if the desire to try to prove yourself right before God was gone, and instead what was there was gratefulness and thanksgiving and joy? 
What kind of good works would we see in the church, in the world? We would see people who give generously to the glory of God. We would see people who pray and yearn for God and read his word to commune with him to the glory of God. Not because we're trying to earn our approval, but because we already have it in Christ. Amen? So hear this word, friend. You cannot justify yourself. You can't. But Jesus has provided that justification for you. And so you go into the world. Love your spouse. Love your kids. Serve your neighbors. Serve the church. Do a great job at work, not because you need to prove yourself, but because you already have the grace and kindness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Here's the heart of the matter. Because of Jesus, we can live for the glory of God. Believe that. May that be your own today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the goodness of your grace in the person and work of Jesus. We thank you, God, that we stand before you as sinners, but sinners that were bought with a price. Lord, we recognize that we cannot justify ourselves, we cannot excuse ourselves, we cannot prove ourselves, because doing so would be foolish before a holy, righteous, and perfect God. We are imperfect. But God, because of your son Jesus, we have received grace upon grace, mercy, forgiveness of sin, reconciliation to you, with you, adoption as children into your family, that we have received a righteousness that does not belong to us, and that you have given us your glorious, perfect, righteous life so that we would rest in it, and that we would hide ourselves in it, and that we would give you glory because you are due all glory and all honor and all praise. We pray these things in your name. Amen.